Hello everyone, I'm Gary Urbanowitz, the Executive Director of the New York City Fire Museum, the official museum of the FDNY. I'm also your host for this Throwback FDNY podcast. Like our museum, this podcast's mission is to help present the extraordinary history and unique heritage of the fire department in the five boroughs. In this episode of Throwback FDNY, the Bureau of Training's 1883 origin as the School of Instruction, the short-lived Chief of Staff and Operations post introduced in 1946, and recalling the 1966 23rd Street Fire. After the New York City Fire Department was founded as a paid force, and as the complexities of the growing city dictated its necessity, the Board of Metropolitan Fire Commissioners, headed by General Alexander Shaler, established an officer's school and prepared a manual of instructions for its students. Training was to become the bedrock of the department. To help ensure readiness, the FDNY purchased its first scaling ladders, then known as the Hole Life-Saving Appliance, and engaged its inventor, Chris Hole, to train members of the FDNY in its use. This led to the formal establishment of the FDNY School of Instruction by General Orders No. 4, published on June 7, 1883. This is widely considered the origin of what would become the FDNY's world-renowned Bureau of Training that now oversees the department's Fire Academy on Randall's Island and the EMS Academy in Queens. The original School of Instruction was comprised of two classes. The first was called the Life-Saving Corps. Its mission was to instruct and train firefighters in the handling and use of scaling and ordinary ladders, lifelines, and other rescue practices. The second was the General Instruction class, which covered the duties of a firefighter in quarters and at fires. The first School of Instruction was housed in the quarters of Engine Company 47, at 766 Amsterdam Avenue in Manhattan. An old sugar warehouse on West 158th Street at the Hudson River served as its first drill tower. When a new FDNY headquarters building was dedicated on East 67th Street in Manhattan, the School of Instruction was moved to the fifth floor of this building. The 75 by 100 foot open area in the rear of the building, extending to 68th Street, was used as a drill ground, and the rear windows of the six-story building were used to practice scaling ladder work. I'll include some pictures of firefighters at this facility in this month's newsletter. To say the least, the Bureau of Training has grown and evolved over the decades. But as the School of Instruction intended, at its core, the Bureau of Training ensures that the men and women who respond to thousands of fires and emergencies each year are ready to save lives when called upon. And now a message from the President of the New York City Fire Museum's Board of Trustees. Hello everyone, I'm Ted Grant, the President of the New York City Fire Museum Board of Trustees. On behalf of the board, we thank you for listening to the Throwback FTNY podcast. Since 1870, our museum has sought to preserve, educate, and celebrate the heroic history of the men and women of the fire department in New York. In 1987, we found a permanent home in Lower Manhattan in the renovated 1904 Beaux Arts Firehouse that had served as the quarters of Engine 30. Inside, our impressive collection illustrates the evolution of the fire department from its origins through today. Our Fire Safety Learning Center is a hub for school children to learn about the importance of fire prevention. Our museum is also home to the first permanent memorial to the New York City Fire Department members lost on September 11, 2001. We hope that everyone who has come to visit the FDNY 343 Memorial since 2002 has been provided a place to reflect on the fire department's darkest day, or 
coming face to face with our fallen heroes. Please stay up to date with us and learn more about our exhibitions, online catalog, and browse our museum shop online at nycfiremuseum.org. Again, thank you for listening, and now back to the episode. Job titles and ranks come and go over the years. Some are driven by the politics of the day, some become permanent fixtures, and others are phased out as new needs arise or different problems must be solved. That's no different in FDNY history. But one position in particular was short-lived, controversial, and impactful for the future of the department. In 1946, newly elected Mayor William O'Dwyer chose Frank J. Quayle to be the fire commissioner. He also wanted to see Frank J. Murphy become chief of department. Mayor O'Dwyer had a personal connection with Chief Murphy, stemming from the line-of-duty death of the mayor's brother, who served with FDNY Engine 56. At the time, a fire commissioner could not simply appoint a chief of department of his choosing from the FDNY ranks without a civil service examination and process. There was no doubt that Deputy Chief Murphy was an exemplary fire officer, but his appointment at the time would have been against the law. That prompted the mayor and the commissioner to lobby the legislature to amend the New York State Charter and make it possible for the commissioner to appoint his own chief of department. The legislation passed, but was vetoed by the governor. In response, Commissioner Quayle appointed Chief Murphy acting chief of department while simultaneously pushing through a local law in the city council to amend the city's administrative code to strip away authority from the chief of department and make it legal for the commissioner to designate an officer of his choosing to command the uniform force and to have charge under his direction. On December 18, 1946, Mayor O'Dwyer and Commissioner Quayle's scheme was successful in circumventing state civil service laws, and Chief Murphy was appointed to the new position of Chief of Staff and Operations, effectively putting him in charge of the uniform force. But it didn't end there. The state responded by ensuring an examination for the Office of Chief of Department was held by the Civil Service Commission the following February. Deputy Chief Burke was number one on the eligibility list and by law became the new chief of department. But because of the conditions created by the local administrative code, Chief Burke immediately submitted his application for retirement and requested vacation and terminal leave. Chief Burke never assumed the duties of chief of department. It became evident that the mayor and fire commissioner did not intend to make another promotion from the eligibility list until they were forced to do so. After considerable pressure was brought to bear by different organizations, two years later, Deputy Chief Peter Loftus was certified by the Civil Service Commission and was promoted to Chief of Department. Again, pitting a Chief of Department against the Chief of Staff and Operations. To ensure Chief Murphy remained the highest-ranking uniform member, General Order No. 39, which promoted Chief Loftus, also abolished the titles of Assistant Chief of Department and Deputy Chief in Charge and established the titles of Assistant Chiefs of Staff and Operations and Deputy Chiefs of Staff and Operations, again to bolster Chief Murphy's rank and position. The order effectively created an entirely new command structure within the department and rendered the position of Chief of Department impotent. When Commissioner Quayle resigned, the next fire commissioner, George Monahan, revoked all orders, rules, and parts of orders relating to the Chief of Staff and Operations and directed that all such regulations be administered by the Chief of Department. Chief Murphy retired the next day.
New York City Fire Museum store can be found online at fdnymuseumshop.org. Exclusive merchandise includes our classic, superior quality NYC Fire Museum t-shirt featuring our treasured Brooklyn Engine Company 8 steam pumper and other museum artifacts. The back includes a firefighter scramble that was the museum's original logo. This one-of-a-kind shirt comes in adult sizes from small to double XL. Proceeds help support our preservation and educational programs. To browse additional apparel and products that celebrate the history of the fire department in New York City, go to fdnymuseumshop.org. That's fdnymuseumshop.org. Now more than ever, the New York City Fire Museum needs your support to pursue our mission to preserve, educate, and celebrate. Now back to the episode. While it's important that we discuss the history of some of the landmark fires that have occurred across the five boroughs, the destruction they cause is never a pleasant topic. That's especially true when there's a loss of life. Before September 11, 2001, October 17, 1966 was known as the department's darkest day. Known simply to many as the 23rd Street Fire, it took the lives of 12 members of the department. At the time, their supreme sacrifice was the deadliest in FDNY history. Rather than discuss the sad aspects of that day, let me talk about the reason behind the fatalities. In short, what the firefighters at the scene did not know was that modifications, illegal modifications, were made to the basement of the adjoining building on 22nd Street. A bearing wall had been removed and a new wall constructed 35 feet back under the Wonder Drug Store on 23rd Street. While the fire raged in that basement, it weakened the timbers of the floor above, which were covered with heavy terrazzo tiles, eventually collapsing and bringing with it the firefighters operating on the first floor of the building into the hellish inferno below. So what are some of the ways the FDNY has proactively changed the way it assesses such potential risks? First and foremost is the Department's Bureau of Fire Prevention, which can trace its origin back to the infamous Triangle Shirtwaist Fire. Staffed by inspectors and professionals of various ranks and titles, the Bureau has many areas of responsibility. This includes evaluating and inspecting fire alarm systems, fire sprinkler systems, consulting with other agencies on fire codes, issuing permits for the use of explosives, including fireworks, permits for places of public assembly, the certification of fire safety directors, and fire safety at buildings under construction. The list goes on. The Bureau is an essential component of keeping not just FDNY members safe, but also every person that's in the city. Throughout the history of the FDNY, individual companies have made it a priority to be familiar with the occupancies within their primary response areas. Known historically as BI for building inspection, later as AFID for apparatus field inspection duty, and with the most recent enhancements and updates, the name was changed to and is currently BISP for Building Inspection Safety Program. Under this program, inspections include such areas as having an appropriate certificate of occupancy, fire emergency markings, unhindered access to the roof, unobstructed exits with signs, carbon monoxide and smoke detectors, presence of window bars, and presence of any hazardous materials, etc. The Critical Information Dispatch System, referred to as SIDS, 
is a computerized database housing the information gathered by the Bureau of Fire Prevention as well as by the companies performing BISP. Access via the dispatcher, responding units can be provided with, as the name implies, critical information on a building, such as building height, width, and depth, type of occupancy, like commercial, residential, or mixed, location of standpipes, and location of hazardous materials stored within. Let's hear what it sounds like when SIDs are read over the air. All improvements in safety help avoid what happened on 23rd Street in 1966 from happening again. Let us always remember the dedication, heroism, and sacrifice of the members lost that day. Deputy Chief Thomas A. Riley, Battalion Chief Walter J. Higgins, Lieutenant John J. Finley, Lieutenant Joseph Priori, Firefighter Bernard A. Tepper, Firefighter Joseph Kelly, Firefighter John G. Berry, Firefighter William F. McCarran, Firefighter Carl Lee, Firefighter Rudolph F. Kaminsky, Firefighter James Gallinaw, and Firefighter Daniel L. Ray. To hear a moving story of how the child of one of these firefighters learned about her father and formed a lifelong bond with the FDNY, watch the FDNY Pro film, My Father's House, by going to fdnypro.org and look for it under streaming now. Switching gears, it's now time for our throwback FDNY trivia segment. In each new episode of our podcast, we like to test your knowledge of the department by asking a question about a fact from our previous show. Here's this month's. Historians, including myself, Note the vision and leadership of the first chief of department of the Metropolitan Fire Department, later FDNY, who successfully transitioned the fire service in New York City from volunteer to paid, laying the foundation of the department's current force of firefighters, EMTs, and paramedics that keep us all safe every single day. So, who is recognized as the FDNY's first chief of department? The answer can be found in our previous episode, and in this month's installment of our companion Throwback FDNY newsletter. You can sign up for our newsletter at nycfiremuseum.org slash throwbackfdny. Thank you all for listening. The Throwback FDNY podcast is brought to you with the help of the FDNY and the FDNY Foundation, the official nonprofit organization of the department. Thank you to the New York City Fire Museum Board of Trustees, our staff, volunteers, and of course, our museum members. I'm Gary Urbanowitz. I'll leave you with this. We can all do our part to be a partner to the fire department by promoting fire safety. It starts in each of our homes by ensuring we all have a working smoke and carbon monoxide alarm. Thank you and be safe.